0: Emotional intelligence is a better predictor of success than intellectual intelligence. So that soft stuff, it really does matter. And, and, and study after study, it's, it's, it's shown that, you know, companies that don't pay attention to that stuff, they will pay for it eventually. In one way or another, Where whether they can't keep their people or whether, you know, it's in, it's in the bottom line.
1: This is Brand Story a podcast celebrating the stories of real people who are making an impact on brands, business, and the world around them. Welcome to Brand Story. I'm your host, Steve Gilman, and my guest today is Connie Hess. Connie is co-owner and partner of Valley Engineering here in Virginia, where she has worked for 22 years. And Valley Engineering is a firm that provides civil, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, engineering, uh, and commissioning, construction management, landscape architecture, planning and survey services. You all do a lot. Um, so hi, Connie. Welcome.
0: Hi. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. I think
1: it'll be really fun to, to talk to you today. Um, so you had a background in financial services before you joined, um, Valley engineering. Can you tell me how you came to move from finance to engineering?
0: Interestingly enough, I was in finance, um, and was a broker, and had a had a client um, that was buying an engineering firm. And he knew that the engineer that he was buying this firm with was a good engineer, but not a very good business person. So he asked if I would come in and run the the engineering firm and, you know, and then we bought, we bought that original partner out in 2003. So um, yeah, so it's been pretty awesome.
1: So now you're, you're the other partner now.
0: Yes, I am. And we actually have a third partner as well.
1: Well, that's exciting. So so really you got into engineering just because there was an engineer and engineering firm that needed your financial background.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's really good. So I've read
1: I've read that uh, an article in the DNR where you talked a little bit about how engineering like construction can be a really male dominated industry. And so you know when you joined, I doubt there were a whole lot of other women in the industry or certainly in your even in your company. And when you went to conferences, I bet that was quite a thing. And so can you tell me a little bit about that experience and, and how, you know, are you hoping that more women join the engineering world?
0: Yeah, well, and we're seeing more and more women come into um, this, you know, great STEM programs um, and, and more women are actually entering engineering now than ever, which is wonderful. But 22 years ago coming in, um, particularly in an executive role, um, it's, it, can, it, w- it was very tough because I am not an engineer, so uh navigating my way through that structure of um you know engineers personalities and um you know learning to gain their respect slowly but surely and uh, it took a while it really took a while but um interestingly enough our brains work the same so um i i'm i like numbers and engineers like numbers so um it, it it's not necessarily always um it was not not necessarily a bad thing. We currently have quite a few um, engineers, female engineers here at Valley Engineering, so we're really proud of that.
1: That's great. Have you done anything over the years to try to encourage more uh, female employees and more women to get into engineering?
0: Not necessarily uh, encourage them to get in. We do do some uh, career fairs, um, particularly at the Votech um, uh, Center here locally. Um, and we, uh, we see lots of females in that drafting program there, which is really good. Um, but we, you know, always look at the hires when anybody comes through the door, we look at everybody equally and, and, you know, whether be male or female, but we're very lucky to have hired some really great ladies here at Valley.
1: Yeah. I'm sure it's nice to have that growing when, and, you know, 22 years ago, you, you may have been the only woman on staff. So I'm sure that's really good. Can you expand a little bit on your role and how you collaborate with the rest of the team being from a financial background and their engineers? And I'm sure that's changed and morphed over the years, but how, how does that go for you?
0: It it has. Um, so I, I really just lead the, the, the operational side of the business. And so how we, we basically are a very flat hierarchy here. So we have a management team of eight and um, we meet Once a week, uh, uh, Monday, 11 o'clock, and um, we discuss different things, you know, uh, work this coming up, you know, what jobs are out there, um, uh, you know, workload, what's in the pipeline, our RFPs, which is how we get our work, um, personnel issues, whatever. Um, And we really are a, a, a very flat hierarchy in terms of we really take into account everyone's thoughts and input in making any type of decision for the company so and that has really changed over the years I would say it was more um, top-down decision making in the early days maybe because we were a smaller company and it had to be um, more so that way but now that we've been in business quite a while you know it's it's kind of a well-oiled machine Um, so and I'm, I'm really proud I have a Um, a young lady that is my director of operations. And she's been with me since, I believe, 2011. And so I mentored her and she does um, a lot of the things that I did early on in my career. So
1: that's great. Yeah. Having a flat hierarchy like that can, especially in, you know, certain size companies can just make operations so much smoother and, you know, make communication so much better. So you get buy-in across the board with different departments, and it's really important.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: Yeah, I can relate a little bit to your, you know, coming into an engineering firm from a financial background and that, you know, I'm a marketer. And because of all my different clients, sometimes I'm in the financial world, sometimes I'm in the healthcare world. So I feel like marketing is a little like finance in that we we learn to speak other languages and translate. So you're always, you know, sort of providing translation services. Um, and I think finance people do that as well.
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I really didn't know anything about engineering um, when I started, and b- amazingly, through the years, I have gained um, an, an amount of knowledge that is surprising often to some of the engineers because I'll jump in in conversations, and and they're like, "Oh, you really do get that, you know, get you know how that works." And so, um, just sitting through meetings, listening, um, and and so I really do have they. the the guys actually tell me, the guys and the gals actually tell me that I know just enough to be dangerous.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's always, you know, you probably don't want to be signing off on the final plans for an elevator, but you know, it does help to speak the language. I felt the same way I worked with, uh, with RMH for, before it became part of Sentara and we still work with Sentara and, uh, you know, speaking the healthcare language took years and years and years, but, you know, having worked with them for like 14 years plus, I feel like I, Kind of got a mini master's in healthcare administration. You know, it's amazing how much you learn just by getting thrown into the fire.
0: We have a we have a we have a niche market in in healthcare um, for our mechanical, electrical, plumbing team that um, is really strong. And you you talk about you know learning the language. It's it's when you have a, when you have that market literally, um, it, it becomes a completely different beast than say you know industrial or retail. So. Um and our client base is, is smaller just because there are only so many healthcare systems out there. So that has been great for us. Um and our MEP group has really flourished in that in that capacity.
1: Yeah, I bet I mean look the engineering in a healthcare system in a in your average healthcare or hospital building is so complex. Most people don't think about what's behind the walls.
0: Yeah, a lot of times when when they ask, when people say, "Well, what do, does Valley Engineering do?" and we talk about healthcare engineering, um, there there are folks who don't even realize that there are engineers who spec- who, who really concentrate in healthcare. And, and well, what does that mean? Um, well, just think about temperatures in the operating room. You know, oxygen, uh, how that flows, how pharmacies are. Um, you know, when they're mixing chemotherapy, um, the different levels of air intake and output that go there. So just a lot of different, those are just a a few things. Um, And when we walk into hospitals that we have been a part of, everybody will be like, it's very beautiful. They really can't see what we've done. And we always say, um, if you're cool or you're warm in in terms of temperature, um, and if the, the toilet's flush." then we've done our job.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things about engineering. It's one of those like thankless behind the scenes arts. Very much so. Yeah. Where Very much so. if, if everything doesn't fall over, then the engineers did a really good job and if everything works. So I was really intimately involved in the, uh, the site selection and, and construction of the new hospital and health campus. So I, I got to be a fly on the wall with all the architects and engineers, and it is so complex. When it's you're very complex. Much, much more so than any other kind of building, I think.
0: Yeah, I believe so too.
1: Good for you guys. That's quite a specialty to have. Um, it's amazing. So, how long has Valley Engineering been around now?
0: About 25 years. That's great. Um, the uh, the original partner, um, he began in 1997. So, uh, but yeah, he was around a couple years before I came on, and so yeah. And we started out over on South High Street in a tiny little office, and we moved. Um, to a little bigger office, which we thought at that time was huge, and we would never outgrow um, here in Herrschingburg. And then a couple of years ago, we actually outgrew that and moved into another office here in 2017. Um, that hopefully don't, hopefully we don't outgrow, but you never know.
1: Yeah, you never know. Um, we've we've had the same issue where we we had a couple offices where we thought, well, this is it. We'll never move to another one. And then we had to fix up another building and move to it because you just grow. So you've been really involved also over the years with company acquisitions and the the growth of the company. Can you tell me a little bit about how you all have grown over the years?
0: So in 2000, we were um, civil engineering and structural engineering. Those were our only two disciplines. And the construction industry was booming. Residential was booming. Um, Things were crazy over the top. Uh, the yeah. market. Yeah, it uh, really was. So we actually had clients who would call in and say, you know, this if, if a set of plans cost me this, what does it cost to get bumped to the front of the line? And that was just a crazy market which we knew could was not sustainable, could never be sustainable. We began looking at other disciplines and that's where we stumbled on to this mechanical electrical plumbing group. They joined us in two thousand and five. They had a uh a specialty actually a very small one but a specialty uh, doing healthcare engineering at, at a Winchester Hospital Valley Health and they came on in 2005 and what happened there subsequently in the years that followed um, things got really tough you know residential basically shut down the economy tanked um, and it was during those years that we were able to procure uh, be full service on two hospitals, two replacement hospitals. And that really got us through the downturn. So I often, you know, we, lots of people shut their doors, engineering firms, particularly civil, cause you know that they're the, they're the dirt, dirt guys. Um, and so that really sustained us and got us through that. And we, and my goal during that time was, is to keep the, the core group together. If I could keep the core group together, then when we came out on the other side, we would be stronger. And that's really how our healthcare niche continued to grow. We just continued to add uh, more folks in that department. And um, yeah, it just really took off from there. And now we're really known um, all across the state and in West Virginia. And we also work in, in Maryland as well, so.
1: Well, that's great. I mean, I, I think that was a really hard time for you know engineering firms, of course, construction firms. And I was working in healthcare and with financial institutions and healthcare institutions at that time. So, you know, we weathered the storm as well because those clients weren't affected in the same way that some industries were. They were still affected. But I think, you know, those years we added a lot of expertise too in digital and in some services that we wanted to add because it is a time to pull together and sort of look at how how do we come out of this because, you know, you're going to come out of it. So it's always smart to try to grow when things are constricting. So good for you all.
0: Yeah, we just wanted to be in the right place when when things did get better and and we were very lucky to to have done that.
1: That's great. So that brings up this latest fun that we've had with the pandemic. Um, so that that recession was a whole lot of fun. How's the how is the whole coming through the pandemic as an engineering firm for you all gone?
0: Well, interestingly enough, we do healthcare, care. So um, and that that was a double edged sword. So a lot of projects got put on hold because they didn't want people in the hospital. Um, but a lot of projects got kicked up because hospitals needed to convert space um, for for covid patients. So um, we, we were able to jump in and help them with that. And that has continued to kind of um, ebb and flow just really throughout the year um, as, as if, if when the uh, pandemic um, surges, we'll have a call. Um, but we also see a, a significant healthcare and just a, a sig- significant rise in just healthcare in general kind of coming back. Um, they, they know they need these things. Um, so they, they can't continue to push them off Um, this virus is going to be here regardless so um, it's a matter of you know protocol and how do we get in there and work safely Um, so and the civil guys never really slowed down which interestingly enough civil is the first step in any any new building Uh, so if the civil guys are busy it's a pretty good indicator of the economy so as long as they stayed busy, then we're, we're pretty confident that things will pick back up. And we really did not see any kind of slowdown um, during that time. So um, you know, we, we had to make a, a very quick transition to be able to work from home, um, which I, I will give my team's kudos for because they were able to move and shift very fast. And they actually were super productive at home. And, and we still have somewhat of a hybrid type of schedule here now
1: us too yeah i found we went through the same thing our our work didn't slow down we just had to do it differently and i was amazed by you know i don't think you ever really know it till you experience it but how resilient and how much people stepped up to be able to work from home and balance everything that was going on and still you know shoot for the fences it's amazing people have amazed me and we still have a hybrid work environment too which i think everyone likes better as well
0: yeah well, I think flexibility in in the workplace now is something that you have to have. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have that, you're not you're not going to keep employees.
1: No, I agree, and I think it's even more important now than it's ever been. So, good for you, good for you for for embracing it. I think some companies are stubbornly trying to go back to 2019, and I'm not sure going back in time really serves any of us very well.
0: It doesn't, and and interestingly enough, we um, when we came back, we were working five days. Um, and the uh, leadership team brought up they said hey let's why don't we work until noon on Fridays and then if you have work you can you know you'll have to stay obviously and get it done but if if you can get all your hours in and be done at noon on Friday you know we can we can, you can get out of here so we did that i said we'll try it and and see you know how it affects our productivity they amaze me once again, you know, it's another perk, flexibility. They love it. So they, they work and get it done. And so it's, it's really beneficial for everybody. It's like, it's a benefit that, you know, I don't, we don't have to pay extra for. So, um, but yeah, they make it work. So I, I, uh, I applaud them. We have a great, great team here.
1: Yeah. Isn't it amazing? People really do surprise you. And I think the more you can have the work fit their life and have flexibility, it means you have a good team because, you don't have to watch over them and, you know, micromanage their behavior. So I think that helps a lot. Yeah. We, I, you know, we just made a rule with our company of like, you get to choose whether you work from the office or work from home, just do it how you feel and we'll see how it goes. And everyone's productivity is better. In my opinion, it's amazing. I
0: think people like the hybrid. They like, I they like too. the freedom to choose.
1: Yeah. I think we all do because we're all responsible adults. We need, exactly. we know we need to get done. And then we all have all these other demands on our time so you know i think that that be in the office from whatever to whatever world was not making the most sense in the modern world anyway
0: and particularly with technology you know we're, we're working from home all the time anyway so not in the same capacity but literally answering emails you know so we were doing some of that before it's just kind of expanding it to you know actually make it better in my opinion.
1: I think my productivity went up because, you know, I have an iPad with me everywhere and I can just whip it out and do whatever I need to do. You know, so it's, uh, I, I like it better as well. So I've read that you um, formed a high-performance group training program and you started that and developed the idea. Can you tell me a little about that?
0: Yeah, interestingly enough, it was about um, 2013 when, um, when I went to uh, some training. In, in Florida, and I ran onto a particular speaker who just really inspired me um, with with the message that he gave. And uh, I remember one of the one of the key takeaways from that for me was um, the 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 story about being late. So he talked about why you should never be late. It's wasting other people's time, but it's also it's also a stressor, right? So. Um, why put that extra stress on yourself so that's a stress you could control a lot of stresses you can't control so um i went to the airport that day because it was in florida and i was actually sitting at my gate and my husband called me and he's and he said what are you doing and i said i'm sitting at the gate and he said well i thought you didn't fly out until six o'clock and i said i I don't but i didn't want to be late and Literally, with the exception of a few cases, I have not been late since then. That's great. Um, which is which is pretty amazing. Yeah. So that's a stressor you can control, um, and that's that's sort of an easy thing that you can address if that's something that you have trouble with. But um, again, wasting other people's time when you're late is is it's really rude. So, um, but yeah. Anyway, so uh, we I came back and and again, I think we were coming out of the economy was recovering, and we, were, we needed something to kind of jumpstart us, our company, and so we were having some trouble with um, company culture, how we treated each other, and so we started to, um, in the manager's meetings on Monday mornings at 11 o'clock, I started taking them through some, what we call lessons or primes, And they were, they're they're very simplistic. You know, they started out with sort of identifying our core values and then saying, agreeing to how we were going to treat each other. Yeah, that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think one of the, the, and we have, I think there's 68 primes, so that's 68 lessons and literally um the favorite lesson that keeps coming back is is what we call the red dot moment and the red dot moment is is where you can kind of walk in to anybody at any time and as long as it's uh truthful helpful um, and you're saying it at the right time you can say whatever you need to say and there won't be any repercussion and you saw me look because we actually have it taped to our we all have it taped to our computers we're trying to remember to um you know be respectful of people and and it's very simplistic But at the same time, when you start to think about those things and how you treat other people um, and it becomes, you know, something that's almost policed. Right. So you don't want to you don't want to go against what what the the culture that we've identified. Um, And it, it really has it really changed the entire dynamic of our company. Um, And that's a little simplistic to, you know, the entire, the program in entirety. But yeah, so we rolled it out for the managers in 2013. And then we actually started rolling it out to the entire company in 2015. That's great. Um, Yeah. And our revenues increased about 25%. Wow. So um, yeah, everybody was happier.
1: Well, you know, being intentional about how you treat each other is so important. It's so much more important than any sort of management training or any kind of even like you know uh, workplace structure the that you know you can impose on employees like the golden rule stuff and good communication like that that's it like especially the good communication part and being able to be open with each other so that that's really cool and uh do you find that company culture is really important to you
0: company culture is everything to us so we at we um, after, after we started this program, we actually have a person sit in on interviews now to make sure that whoever they're hiring will, will fit our culture. Um, and it doesn't matter if they, they fit, if they check every other box, if they're, they won't be good for our culture, then we do not hire them.
1: Good for you. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that is the secret, I think, to being successful. The secret sauce. Yes. That is the secret sauce. I had a guest that, uh, if you ever get a chance to watch this episode, I had a guest and her name is Kendra Crosby and, uh, she works for a company called Work Wisdom up in Pennsylvania, and they help with you know, consulting around communications. And she said something so cool about workplace culture where she said if she was going to define what culture is, it's what really happens. You know, it isn't the motto you put up on the wall. It's the way you actually treat each other, and that is the culture.
0: And I like to I like to call culture an ecosystem. Yeah, it's it's alive. It's it's constantly changing, and we have to be aware of it. And we have to uh, make sure that the right ing- the right things are there, and the wrong things disappear. Um, so that it's healthy and we do check-ins and, and with, with the whole team. Um, and that I think has helped us sort of sustain it into the future. Not to say that we don't have hiccups, but we certainly, we certainly have a different group than we had, you know, 10 years ago.
1: You know, if someone fits with the culture, they tend to stay. And if they don't, they tend to self-select so. Um, I think that's really interesting. One of the things we end up talking about a lot on this podcast is how culture informs brand. You know, your culture is what your customers feel and experience. So it is your brand. Do you all ever intentionally talk about that? Like how the outward expression of your culture of, you know, affects how customers experience the brand.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 view clients as internal clients and external clients, right? And so how we treat them are the same. So it's important to treat each other good. It's also important to treat our clients the same way. And that, that intentionality in that, I think, is very helpful for um, employees because they feel like, hey, I am important. When we have a tight deadline, you know, and they have to work extra, if we're treating them like they're important internal employees, then they don't mind working that extra because they're, we give it to them and the, therefore, you know, they're going to give it to the client. So I think that that is one way that it has really helped us. Um, and we were very, again, we're very intentional about our employees.
1: Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I think, you know, I wish more companies, it's always amazing to me that some companies don't understand that. It is 100%. You know, if you treat people the way, you know, they should be treated and you treat them well, they will treat your customers well. The end. Full stop.
0: Exactly. And it's about, you know, caring about your employees. And a lot of people, when they think about company culture, they, they think it's like the soft stuff. Yeah, you know, the soft skills um, and you know emotional intelligence and, peop- and and folks think that's not important. Well, you know any 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 reading you do, it, emotional intelligence is a better predictor of success than intellectual intelligence. So that soft stuff it really does matter. And and, and study after study, it's 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 shown that you know and, and companies that don't pay attention to that stuff, they will pay for it eventually. In one way or another, where whether they can't keep their people or whether you know it's in it's in the bottom line.
1: Yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. I think that's such a great perspective. Um, that's one of the reasons you all are so su- successful is your culture and you know your reputation in the community and with people that you work with is stellar because you treat them so well. So you know we work with uh, RBI and Daniel Blosser over there. And so he was one of the people that suggested that that I talk to you because I interviewed him on the podcast and we've been working with him for like about 12 years I think with RBI and they're the same way. They're They're just really good people you know, and not every company, I don't think every company can honestly say they're just really good people to be around.
0: Well, interestingly enough, Daniel and I um, went to grade school together. Are
1: you serious? So
0: we went to, <laughs> we, yeah, we went to grade school together and graduated to, from high school together. So, yeah. so you kind of um, know and, him. And, yeah. And our companies are so close yeah. So, yeah. You know, and we essentially do the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, You're so sort it's, of it's in just similar, interesting. Similar fields yeah. and yeah, you yeah. all work together on some projects. Yeah, yeah. we do. We That's do. That's so cool. Yeah. 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 I love how yeah. small
1: a world it is sometimes. I mean, both your, both your companies are like backbones of our entire community. So good for you. So what's something from your work with Valley Engineering that was really unexpected when you got into it?
0: Well, I can tell you now at this point in my career, um, I did not expect to feel like this was like literally my family. And, you know, when we're talking about secession planning and and what's next, um, there's a little bit of sadness in that because i love the people that i work with and we are a family um and so that was a little unexpected um not to say that i'm not retiring now but uh, I, again you you know secession plan needs to be done you know far far enough in advance so that you know the company doesn't suffer but just thinking about that um you know we've all we've we have employees that have been here you know 20 years as long as i have um and then we have employees that have been here I would say 50% of our employees have been here um, 10 years, so we've got to see people grow, kids grow up. Um, we got to see actually some employees grow up and you know get married, have babies, and and we're we're just a big family. So that was kind of unexpected for me um, to, to feel like, you know, Valley Engineering is almost one, I uh, only have one child, but this is my, I would say Valley Engineering is my other child. So, um, yeah, so thinking, thinking about that, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was unexpected, but it's certainly something that I, I didn't anticipate, um, you know, having such an emotional toll
1: on me. So, yeah, you really don't think about it until, you know, you have to start doing something like succession planning. And, you know, when you work at some place you love, it's an it's part of your life. You know, a lot of people talk about workplace, you know, work-life balance. And I really think it's more like work-life integration when you work someplace that you actually love. So, you know, we've been in business for 27 years. So, you know, the people that I've worked with, we have really long-term employees and really long-term client relationships you know, like 10 years plus on all levels. And it's an amazing thing because you know each other really well. You've got shorthand. It's, it's a joy to come to work. It's just a a great thing when you can work with people that you really enjoy.
0: Absolutely. Well, I I will tell you, believe it or not, engineering is 100% about relationships. Yeah, I bet. You know, you know, people choose to do business with us. And so, um, uh, going out and 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 maintaining those relationships is something that uh you know i do some business development along with our our director of business development um people again we have a lot of clients who they're repeat clients and they come back because of the relationships that we establish with them so um and it's so important and again that's kind of the soft stuff you know and when we talk about the soft stuff you know, that sort of relays in, in terms how they go out and build their relationships. And we talk about them building their relationships. So, um, meaning that our, our folks when they go out and, you know, trying to trying to get new work or whatever it is, you know, I, I, I say, you know, Carl Snyder, who is our, our director of civil engineering, I've really seen him blossom in, in the past couple of years in his relationships. And it's just so wonderful to see, to sit back and watch, you know, the, the folks that he's kind of brought in um, at, and he's really just at the top of his game and I'm so proud of him. but a lot of that, I think takes root in you know us being very intention intentional about our culture, both internally and externally.
1: Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's really an expression of your culture and you know watching people grow like that is a big part of the satisfaction that I'm sure you get from your role. you know that's that's really, really great. And I you know that that sort of approach where, you know, obviously, you're going to treat your customers the same way you treat your employees. And I really admire that. We, you know, we always, we have a saying here because we're in marketing that we just live our brand, our clients' brands with them. Because if we can't wake up and, like, really care about it, then, you know, why market it? If we don't believe, we can't really put our hearts in it. So, it, you know, those relationships are real. And then when the when one of your, you know, like your clients, when one of them has changes and they're going through something, you go through it with them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, and we literally do that. I'm I mean, sure we've seen in, in 20, in 22 years, I've seen a lot of things happen and, and, um, both highs and lows. So, and we we're we're definitely, um, have, have been there for each other.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. So can you, uh, tell me, is there any one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in life?
0: I think the biggest, the biggest, component of growing as a leader is to be a lifelong learner never to get stuck in a rut don't just because things have been done a certain way always be open to new things Um, I see so many people go through their careers and they get kind of stuck and they wonder why and you know reaching out to them and doing some coaching um, and as we're talking through that you suddenly realize that they're the problem Mm -hmm. the state of mind that they're in they are the problem because they're not allowing themselves to learn anymore or be open to new things i think you see this a lot with um uh, folks who are starting to exit the the uh the the job market Um, but i think it's important to if if we start a if we start a, a a process of being a lifelong learner and just keeping the mindset that we continue it on then I think that that is a, uh, that, that's some of the best advice that I could give anybody because getting stuck in your ways does no one any, it, it, no, any good at all. It just, it actually makes for, it makes for hard times,
1: especially for yourself. You know, if you're not willing, I mean, change is inevitable, it's all around you all the time. And so we talk about that constantly here because to be in our line of work, you have to be passionate about learning, you have to be endlessly curious. Things change, you know, marketing changes by the minute sometimes. I mean, we have so much change in our industry. And if you don't love it, you'll just get burned out. And if you, you know, if you, there's one thing you like to do and you're you're like, oh, I just like this media or I'm just into this kind of tool, you're done. You know, you have to be really, really curious about what's going on, on there, out there in the world and really empathic to consumers and what are they thinking, what do they feel, and what do they want. So I think that's, I love that advice. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, that's, you know, from really successful people I've talked to, I've heard those themes, you know, and I think the people who who we meet that we find the most interesting and who, who you can tell are passionate about what they do are always lifelong learners.
0: Absolutely. You know, we have a book club here at work and it ranges, um, you know. Anybody, we have quite a few young folks that are in it, um, younger folks, and interestingly enough, we, we have um, read some in, some books that I would not have read otherwise, and um, somebody said, well, I can't believe that you read that book. They were in the book club and couldn't get through it, and I'm like, well, if I expect to understand them, that that employee, then I'm reading this book because it's what they asked me to read, and um, and again, it was just another perspective I think on our culture, the fact that I was intentional about reading through that book to make sure that when we went in there and, and had these discussions that they, that I took it seriously and that I cared about the book that they chose. Um, and, and we've, and some of the spinoff conversations that we have just from those book club discussions are, are very interesting. Um, spending time like that with your employees, not necessarily, you know, across the desk. But over lunch, you know, you know, in a book club or whatever it is, um, it, it's, I have found a way that, it, for me, people, everybody will show up at my door. People are not afraid to show up at my door and walk in and say, "Hey, I need some help," or "Hey, I think that we, you know, this we do this this way. I think, you know, we we could be uh, we could do it better this way." And and I love that about um, interacting with my employees from you know across the entire company. So, uh, that I think is again, another aspect of who we are and our culture.
1: That really does speak to high emotional intelligence and being open, you know, being in a book club and really committing yourself to it. You know, that just demonstrates that you're open to new ideas and then of course employees are going to find you more approachable. And then that just makes your job satisfaction go up and everybody wins. So. I think that's great. I love the idea too. I might have to borrow that idea. I really like that idea. Um, so how has your perspective on being a leader changed over the past couple of years with the pandemic and all that's been going on? Has it changed or are you still, you know, it sounds like you, you do a lot of really healthy things as a leader. So is there any any new new tools in your toolbox?
0: I don't think it's necessarily changed over over the last couple of years. What I've noticed is we have all been very adaptive. Um, and our leadership has been adaptive. So making sure that we are kind of rolling with the punches, whatever happens, um, we never completely uh, went um, shut down here at the office. So we had sort of a um, a half week for some and and, the, and a half week for others. And we did we came back and we came back for a period of time and then around Thanksgiving, when it peaked again last year, we went back to that. So there was a lot of discussion about when we should con- when we should come back, um, and um, it, when you're when you're talking about something uh, like the epi- epidemic, you're talking about people's health, you know, and and people coming here and afraid that they're going to get it and take it home to their kids. That was that was our concern. So being adaptive and really listening to people's concerns, you know, um, and and something that I've learned over the years, just because I feel a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that another person feels that way. So shutting my mouth and opening my ears and listening to what they have to say and validating that, right? Because right or wrong, it's how they feel. So, and, and they, deserve to, they deserve to, you know, have somebody pay attention to that. So I think just being adaptive and listening to people and, and being, you know, open to what others thought and their concerns were about, you know, how they handled, you know, this this change.
1: Yeah, because it's been a lot of change, you know, and I was talking to someone else on the on the program, uh, Patricia Corsey, who's the CMO of Bayer, uh, the global CMO for Bayer Pharmaceuticals. And, you know, she was talking about I found it so amazing because, you know, there's all this like we're in it together message messages from companies like we're all in it together whether we're home or not. Well, yes and no. I mean, if you're in in management and you have a beautiful house and a private office, your experience is much, much different than maybe an employee that just started that's in an apartment with five other people. You know, so there's like being able, like you said, open your ears and be empathic and truly listen to what people have going on and don't think they're having the same experience that you're having, I think is so
0: important. Absolutely, you know, and the think about that, you put the kids in, in, in that equation, right? So, and we had, I can honestly say throughout the last couple of years, we've, we've had kids here you know, on and off all the time. So we actually have a kids' room um, That's so that smart. they can, yeah, they can they can go down there and watch television or whatever. But they're are around. But again, it's it's part of our culture. Um, if you you know you need to bring your kid with you to work, you can bring your kid with you to work.
1: Well, yeah, because sometimes sometimes parents are stuck. You know, something happens and they've got to make you know they got to flow with the situation because they got thrown a curveball that morning. And all these things are real, you know, so I think I I really applaud you for that. I think that's, you know, I've heard great things about your culture and people that work there um, speak highly of of the place and I can see why. That's really cool. Um, So what do you think is a common myth um, uh, that exists about workplace culture um, or employee well-being? Like, I think you think about this stuff a lot. I can, I can tell. So what do you think is one of those things that you think is just either a myth or untrue?
0: I think some people believe in it more than others. And I think a lot of uh, companies like to pay lip service to it, but they don't really back it up. And they they, they understand it on paper, but they until they experience it um, and, and actually watch it in action, you, you really can't, uh, I don't think you can really appreciate it. So and I've I've taught several groups, um, been consultants with, you know, to a couple of groups and kind of help them try to make a transition. Uh, And the biggest thing I've seen is leadership has to be on board 100 percent because they have to they they have to walk the talk. Right. So if they don't do that, if they don't lead by example, no one else is going to do it. And that's the really interesting thing for us when we when we started our high performance group culture was we were very intentional about walking out of that room every week and being uh, showing our employees the changes that we were making. And um, and interestingly enough, we have a, a married couple that works for us. And about six months into the the program, uh, she came to my office and she said, I don't know what you're doing in that room, but you need to do it outside of that room because I don't know who this person is that comes home at night anymore. Like he is so thoughtful, um, you know, and so intentional that it, it it's crazy. We want to do it. And and honestly, that was the catalyst for us to roll it out to the whole, wow, that's so to cool. the, yeah, to the whole, to the whole group. So, um, I think people talk about it, but they really don't the effort forth to actually execute it
1: yeah and there's a lot of lip service and mottos and not a lot of like real human action and conversations and i think you know it's it's so amazing because when you work on that level on on emotional intelligence and real communication and being open it you have amazing results like you've seen them and i just think you know we don't get taught that in you know school you don't get taught how to behave there are any how to behave classes or how to be open and communicate. You might learn a skill, but you know this stuff is important. So, you know, I think that's really great that you all put that focus on that.
0: Yeah, and you know, we one of the first things that um, I taught our folks the very first lesson is is that you have to be present, right? So when you come into our meetings, you don't come in with with any type of technology because we're we're cutting out that time um, for each other, and so therefore, if your phone's ringing or something's happening. Um, and that's that's the the premise that we built the whole program on. So it, it builds from there. Uh, but taking time, get, making sure that you know, I am listening to you um, while we're in that meeting. And so, um, and and still to this day, we're we're very very good at at policing that for each other.
1: That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. So I'll ask you a few more questions, and then uh, uh, we'll be done today. I've been having so much fun talking to you today. This has been great. Oh. Thank you. This has been really, really fun. I'm gonna ask you to finish a sentence that uh, is really easy, and I think you might have fun with it. If you weren't in engineering, what would you be doing?
0: I would be a uh, forensic psychologist. <laughs> That's
1: what a great answer. That's so cool. Yeah, you seem like you're very, very in tune with human beings and how they behave and. Yeah, good for you. It makes you a good leader.
0: Literally, uh my husband tells me I watch too much Dateline, but I really think if I had if I had to do it all over again, that's what I would do.
1: <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I don't know,
0: that's kinda of crazy.
1: No, I think that's great. I love it. And uh what's a uh is there any one piece of advice or, or a piece of advice that you've been given that has really stuck with you?
0: I think this kind of goes back to be a lifelong learner. Um and and allow your mind to grow allow don't get stuck in one place don't get and, and if you get stuck in that place make sure that you're able to kind of do something to get yourself out of that whatever it is um, and it can be a ton of different things whether you reach out to somebody for help or you know you read self-help books or you know I'm an avid reader I read all the time um, thus the stack of books you know on my desk <laughs> yeah so um, but I think again you know learning and 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 being open to to new things I think is just really, really important.
1: yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's I think that's such an important part of just being a happy person and bringing good things to other people is perspective and widening your perspective through learning you know it's a big world you can never get done learning you know. There's so much out there. So I have one last question for you and I'll let you go. So we don't keep you longer than, than I had told you we would. And, uh, so if you could give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be?
0: I I would give myself the advice that, um, you can't demand respect. You must earn it. I I spent, I spent quite a few years in the beginning of my career being very tough and very hard and not really letting people see a side of me that. Was a little tender. And the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that I've ever gotten is to have grown um, as a person and in leadership to be very vulnerable in front of people. And um, the the, the old adage is is true you get what you give, and revealing that side to other people and, and watching them opening up. And what I get back from them now, that, that would be, um, that that's something I wish I had done years ago um, instead of waiting till now. But again, I think it's coming into a male-dominated industry. I thought, you know, this is the only way I'm going to be able to to do that. And and I was labeled for a long time. Um, you know, I, I didn't while I was a woman, I didn't have very uh, woman-like tendencies. And so, um, not to say that the women-like tendencies are, are, are good or bad, but um, it's just, it's interesting to me that we sometimes as women in leadership positions think that we gotta just go hard and, and you know, be tough. And um, that that's not necessarily the case. So, not to say that I can't be tough, I can still be tough when I need to be, but, but um, yeah, but you know, being more vulnerable, I think is, is, um, you know, you get more from people.
1: Yeah. I, well, I think that is the most positive message to end on because I think there are so many leaders across the board, male and female that can learn from that. And, you know, people think, oh, if I'm vulnerable, maybe people think I'm weak or I'm indecisive. I think it's the absolute opposite. Being vulnerable and being empathic and real with people is how you succeed. So good for you. I think that's one. that's one of my favorite. I asked that question at the end of every interview. And I think that's one of my favorite answers. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. And it's the way we it's the way we make people feel right. So no matter what we do, how the way we make other people feel, that's what they're going to remember. And that's what they're going to take home at night. And, and so, you know, being a positive influence, you know, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, um, being a positive influence, uh, is, is it, it's helpful.
1: It is, and it's way more satisfying than thinking you need to be a certain way. Yes, you know, absolutely. Being your authentic self really does come in handy. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, hey, thanks so much for doing this today, Connie. I had a blast. This was really fun.
0: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So nice to meet you.
1: Want to hear more inspiring stories? Subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, please rate, review, and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story.